last time uh, next week Connor's going to begin on chapter 56 and take four chapters 56 57 58 59 so that'll be good so Connor's going to do that and then I'll come back in and we'll be maybe close to the end of the book of Isaiah it's been a, a lengthy journey but what else do we have to do anyway <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is Isaiah <clears throat> 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. All right, verses 1 and 2. The first word there, come, everyone who thirsts, in some versions is translated ho, it's like an exclamation, like a, a barker at a fair or something, ho, everybody come in. So you have a, an announcement here, everybody come in and listen. It's sort of the sense. Um, pay attention. Uh, so, uh, this Isaiah is inviting people to listen and to come and buy wine and milk, bread uh, without price, and so forth. Uh, these words are used in Scripture, some in other contexts, and we probably read this last week, but we'll read it again. This is Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, if somebody would get that and read it for us. Proverbs 9, this is the Lady Wisdom that is talking. Actually, she's sending her helpers out into the streets to call and bring people in. And so if somebody would read that, that's 136. 136. Go ahead, Katie. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places of the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and live and walk in the way of insight. Yeah. I mean, I find this just so suggestive of the gospel. I mean, you know, the Lady Wisdom says a slaughter has taken place. Well, and then come in and eat the bread and drink the wine that I've prepared, I mean. How clear can God make it? <laughs> you know? yeah. So this is talking about the death of Christ and to encourage us to seek Him out to be on the path of wisdom and find Him. I mean, so this is the path of wisdom. I, I don't know. I just read, It seems to me Isaiah is saying more or less the same thing here in verses 1 and 2. It sounds a lot like communion as well because it's talking about... Mm -hmm. Slaughtering her cattle and mixing her wine. Oh, it, and the wine. oh, yes. It sounds exactly like communion. Come drink the wine, eat the bread. 
I mean, again, that's you know, it's great. You know, really. Okay, are we all on? Does that make sense? Are we all on board here? Uh, of course, to be to be on board with me, you've got to agree that the Old Testament may speak about Christ. I mean, you have to agree about that. If you're not in agreement about that, then we're talking different languages and stuff. Okay. Katie says she's on board. <laughs> of course, I've been preaching to her for 50 years. I mean, you know. Who is this now? Did the Proverbs passage that we just mm. read? Did I don't. Put wine and milk I, I don't think so. Do you have anything on that? No, I just found it interesting. I, I, I know. It's, uh, it's like the whole of the human range of experience. There, you start out with milk and you work your way. Down to meat wine, wine bread, yeah. yeah. Isn't that the truth? You got the newborn and you've got the Eucharist. It's all there. Well, yeah, yeah, very good. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go to... Uh, Jesus uses the motif of water here in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, if somebody would look at that. John 7, 37 through 39. Please. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow the rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so Christ is using this imagery of water here that we need to receive and drink as being as the coming of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the way he's using this image. So there's salvation, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the waters of God. Um, therefore, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, produces rich food for the whole world through his church, through the bride of Christ. That's us. To me, to me, this is clear uh, in Song of Solomon, chapter four, verse eleven. Again, the Old Testament is commenting on the New, as it were. This is Song of Solomon, four, eleven. Uh, the bridegroom is praising the bride here, and we're going to read down through five, one. The bridegroom says, Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. She hadn't begun to bear yet. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest fruits. Henna with nard, nard with saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes with all the chief spices a garden fountain, a well of living waters and flowing streams from Lebanon. Uh, this is the best reference here to Christ's use of that spring of living waters. It's obliquely in other places in Scripture, but this is the best here in Song of Solomon. Therefore, Christ is quoting from the Song of Solomon. Uh, as some commentators might say, the Song of Solomon is not used in the New Testament. Well, no, I mean, it is. <laughs> so here it is. 
now, look at this in verse 16. The bride says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden and let its spices flow. The wind in both Hebrew and Greek is the same word as spirit. It could be either way. So this is the coming of the Holy Spirit now. And guess what? The bride is going to begin to bear when the Holy Spirit comes. Verse, the remainder of that verse, Let my beloved come into his garden to eat its choicest fruits. He says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my, here it is, uh, Connor. I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. So the bride begins to produce, and there's enough for many others to come and enjoy. This doesn't seem to be such a stretch for me in Song of Solomon, really, to, to look at it this way. But, of course, I've been reading the Song of Solomon for 30 years. I mean, you know. I, did I ever tell you the story about how I ever got into the Song of Solomon? This is maybe not to the point, but... Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. You know, Katie doesn't remember, so we have to recount it. Uh, <laughs> I was teaching Bible in, at a Bible institute in Bolivia. And uh, I'd done my morning duty, and in the afternoon, I was in the, the teacher's room, and the students were, they all had their families there. They were going about their tasks and their duties and their family stuff and all that. And I was by myself in my room, sort of staring out the door. <laughs> not much going on. No, not much going on. And the sun was streaming through my door, so I'm sitting there. I said, well, what shall I do now? <laughs> I think I'll read my Bible. So I looked at it, I said, you know, I've never read through the Song of Solomon. So I picked up the Bible and read through the Song of Solomon. Believe me, I didn't understand a single word. <laughs> okay. And uh, I asked the Lord, I said, I'd like for you to give me this book. And that just, I mean, that's just set off a long journey. I mean, I've got commentaries at home on the Song of Solomon, all that stuff, you know. And anyway, I'm just saying... It's just something that God's given me to do. I mean, you can't you can't be an expert on everything, you know. But maybe on one or two things we could we could work on, you know. Yeah, one or two things. Anyway, that's my affair with the Song of Solomon over many years. But it seems to me that these things speak of Christ and the church. In fact, if you're a preacher and you want to preach the Song of Solomon, that's the only way you can preach it. Otherwise, it's too embarrassing. I mean. I mean, who wants, to, who wants to get up and talk about all this sexual stuff in the pulpit? I mean, I'm not going to do it. But I have preached it, and people say, you know, young man, that's the first sermon I've ever heard in the Song of Solomon. Right, because we don't preach it. So verse 15 and 16 of chapter 4 are describing regeneration? <clears throat> I, I think so, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh uh, verses, see, you say 16 and 16, 5. In uh, chapter 4. Yes, verse 16. And 15. And 15. Well, uh, I don't know how you want to view it exactly, depending on your theology, but I mean, I, I think in verse 15 that this is true of her, but it's kind of like a potential. Okay. But in verse 16, when the Holy Spirit comes, yes, then she begins to produce. I, I mean, I think so. 
Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to you have to acknowledge that the bride of Christ has great potential. She has great potential. Because of her husband. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes. Verse 16 also makes me think of, at least with the beginning when it talks about the different women's, it makes me think of, how does it, is it Ezekiel who, who looked down in the valley and... I, I couldn't understand. Oh, what sorry. What did you say? Um, wasn't it wasn't it Ezekiel who, yeah. who was looking down on the, the army and how, how the Holy Spirit... You mean the valley of the dry bones? Is yeah. that what you're talking about? Uh, well, the Holy Spirit comes and the bones live. Right. So that, that's what we yeah. think of as well. Yeah, 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 sure. So when the Holy Spirit came, you were no longer living in death, you were living in life. Right, so the CC said, do few things, but do them well. Yeah, simple work is holy. <laughs> yeah. Ezekiel had a great answer, you know. God asked him if those bones could live. He said, well, you know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Oh, God asked him. Yeah, yeah. yeah God asked him. Yeah. All right. So much for Son of Solomon. I'm sorry to be just running a rabbit here this morning. Let's go back to Isaiah 55, verse three, and I'm going to run one more rabbit, and then we'll get more serious. Okay. <clears throat> verse three. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So Isaiah, Isaiah is exhorting us, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast and sure love for David. Most translations have the sure mercies of David. How how this um, teaching is generally taught in, under the heading of the sure mercies of David, as has generally said. Um, well, uh, the Lord helped me to solve a problem uh, that I've had for the last oh fifteen or twenty years uh, in the. Spanish language, but I also learned something about English. <clears throat> and in Spanish Bible, they have two words for eternal, right? One is eterno, and the other is simpiterno. So sometimes I'll be reading Spanish Bible, and it'll say eterno, and sometimes it'll say simpiterno. So I asked the Spanish pastors, I said, well, what does eterno mean? And they say, eterno is eterno, it's eternal, right? And then I said, well, what does simpiterno mean? They said, it means eternal. So, I mean, what, you know, what's going on here, right? Well, I finally tracked down to some Spanish language website. Et eterno is eternal, that's true. But it's eternal in the sense that it of eternity, which when we talk about eternity, it goes out into the future and it goes back into the past, right? I mean, eternal is just eternal. So, I mean, God is eternal back in the past, so there's no creation before creation. There's not anything. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that's it. I mean, you know, that's eternity past and we have eternity future. That's eterno in Spanish. Simpiterno has the sense that there's something that has a beginning, or like it has a beginning, but it has no end. They're slightly different. I'm not sure that the translators of the Spanish Bible are using this correctly all the time. I think 
On the contrary, if you're a Spanish preacher and you want to be an orator, sempiterno is mas is more uh, uh, more yes more forceful. I mean, it's more it's more eloquent. You know, the the covenant sempiterno. Right. You might be interested to know that English also has these two words. We also have the word eternal, but we also have the word. I hope I'm saying this right. Sempiternal, yes. We also have the word sempiternal. So I'm looking these words up in English. What is eternal? Well, it's eternal. What is sempiternal? It's eternal. So that, we have the same problem in Spanish and English, but fortunately nobody knows sempiternal, so it's no problem for us. <laughs> I Go ahead. I've always thought that that, that distinction between the words eternal and everlasting, which you see, you see both in, in Scripture, but everlasting seems to mean, well, it lasts forever well, in the that, future. Well, maybe that's right. Maybe that's right. In the past, anyway, this is... Yeah, this has just been something that's bothered me for the last 10 years or so, and anyway, I was able to solve it. Okay, let's go on. All right. <laughs> um... So in verse 3, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Uh, this has to do with the sure mercies of David, which you're quite familiar with. This is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through 17. If some, uh, I'll read that. And if someone would look up Acts chapter 13, verses 32 through 39, we'll read those. So this is, I'm going to read 2 Samuel. Uh, uh, seven. Second Samuel seven. Okay, this is Second Samuel seven, beginning with verse four. This is a long passage, but it's a great story, uh, and maybe I won't read the whole passage. But 2 Samuel 7, beginning with verse 4, says this, But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, that's the prophet, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And let's stop there. So basically, uh, David, it's, it's in his heart to build a temple for God, to build him a house. And Nathan the prophet says, 
do all that's in your heart. Nathan goes home. God says, wrong word. Go back and tell David this. And basically what Nathan is saying to David is, you wanted to build God a house, but on the contrary, God is going to build you a house. And this is how the prophecy starts. And then he says, uh, verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. That must be Solomon. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, Solomon did build the temple. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, but with the stripes of the sons of men. With the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is the promise to David. Sometimes it's called the sure mercies of David. And the promise is that there will always be a king to reign on David's throne forever. Well, I mean, we know that that's fulfilled in Christ. I mean, there's no king in Israel now, and so on, so on, and so forth. So even in Jesus' day, there was no Jewish king in Israel. So uh, that's the promise to David. Therefore, Isaiah in chapter 55 picks this up and he says, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, the sure mercies of David, my steadfast, sure love for David. Um, so it seems in verse 3 here that he's placing us into this covenant with David or into this kingdom into this eternal king that reigns forever on David's throne he makes with us this covenant this everlasting covenant uh, <clears throat> incidentally Spanish Bible did translate this right they use eterno there rather than simply <laughs> the covenant between the father and the son goes back before the beginning and out into the future with no end, right? Yeah, it's, it's an eternal cup. Yeah. All right. Uh, someone read then Acts 13, 32 through 39. 32? Yes, 32 through 39. Uh, we tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Ah. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not uh, you will not let your holy one see decay. Yeah, that's good enough. <laughs> that, that must be the Apostle Paul preaching there, right? Yes. Yeah. So... Paul links the resurrection of Christ from the dead to this promise here to David, the sure mercies of David. And Paul says this is it. This is the fulfillment of the sure mercies of David. Because this king who rose from the dead never dies again. So he reigns on the throne of David forever. This is the sure mercies of David. So that's the way the apostle uses it. All right, uh, let's go to verse 4. 
Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Mm, I don't, I don't have anything here. I, I think maybe this must be David. I, I, I don't know. Uh, verse five. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. The nations now come in. So God has glorified Israel and he has worked with them for hundreds of years for the production, of, as we might say, of this servant of Yahweh, that is Christ. And it's for the good of the nations too. Uh, because nations that did not know you shall run to you. Right? Verses 6 and 7. These are famous verses. People memorize these. You may have them memorized. If you have a memorized in King James, it's always more poetic, right? <laughs> seek the Lord while you, he may be found. Well, King James says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And then the unrighteous man is thought, and let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, to, to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Wow, what great verses. Uh, well, Seek the Lord while he may be found. I mean, if the Lord is calling you, by all means, seek him. The Wesleyans would say, don't send away your day of grace. Yeah, yeah. If, if God is passing by, this is your chance. Yeah. Don't let it go. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Let's see what that one says. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. Yeah. says this Jeremiah 29 11 for I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I will be found by you declares the Lord and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you declares the Lord and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Well, this is for the Jews, but it also seems to expand out to the Gentiles also. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and you will you'll find him. So, all right, I'm going to pause there. Does anybody have any comments on these things? I'm just rattling away here. Everybody happy? Okay. I'll say that Jeremiah passage, that's a life changer for so many people. Yes. When I first discovered that passage, it was so meaningful. You know, I just remember just crying on a baby that God Himself promises if you seek me, I will find you. You will, yes. Yeah. You will find me. You will find me, yeah. And it's just John chapter 10, the shepherd you know, goes out, and one sheep goes out, and the fold is going to come, he's going to find him. Yeah, amen. Well, praise the Lord for that. Verse 8, uh, why should we seek the Lord? Because my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Amen. So this is, again, an encouragement, I think, to seek the Lord. I mean... You know, we're not smart to figure out what God is doing, I mean, in the world. And, 
and all these things. So let's seek Him and be humble and uh, try to obey His Word. And I mean, what God's program is in the world is a little bit uh, difficult to figure out. But uh, So His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Verse 9. For the heavens, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Same thing. Verse ten. For as the heavens, uh, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Uh, all right. Verse 10, the rain and the snow come down, water the earth, it brings forth, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So the seed now, it seems to me, is the word of God. And the rain provides softening conditions for the ground to receive the seed. Uh, the seed then sprouts providing bread and more seed for future use I mean we can apply this spiritually here verse 11 this is the way God's word is that goes out from his mouth uh, well it accomplishes God's purpose either to bring people in or to harden people up more one way or the other um, so God's word doesn't return void one way or the other uh, does anybody have any uh, experiences or examples here that you might give of God's word not returning void I mean in your experience and stuff like that I think so, so many people interpret that as being the Bible well, which, is, which is significant and important than what is God, the book of God's Word, but there is also a way that God speaks to us outside the Bible, I think. You know, it should be confirmed within the Scripture, but He may be speaking for a very specific time on space. Through other events or whatever. Situation. Sure, He could. So, and yeah. We have to receive that as being a word from God and heed it obey it, do it, you know, so, and uh, it's hard to do that sometimes yeah. because our, our ears are so locked up, yeah. and, uh, but, I mean, I think this is on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, if you're in relationship with God, we need to be open to listen to Him, you know, so, and it's hard because we're so filled with such a company of other voices, you know, so, and, uh, Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead, uh, Con. Uh, I don't think this is anywhere close to the full meaning of the verse, but what pops into my head is it, it's, an, it's a reminder for us that when we pray and when we sing, that it be the words that God has given to okay. us, i.e. the scriptures. Good. So we sing the Psalms, and when we do that, the word of God is returning back to God. He gave not, us not the words of the Psalms. Very good. Lovely. And as we sing the Psalms back to Him, we're fulfilling this yeah. verse. Very good. The word of God is going back to God. Lovely. Lovely. And it's not coming back to I think it's a promise we just have to claim and hold on to yeah. because sometimes we're hesitant to speak out or we think that 
what we've done doesn't make any difference. Yeah. And it's a thing where we just trust what God says here in the scripture. Right. Oh, that yeah. That does not come back for Indeed. Well, well to give, give it back also proves that you've received it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's like, it's like teaching. Yeah. You know, you give a test, you give it back. <clears throat> you know, if they do well on the test, it proves that they've received what it was that you taught. Yeah. Beautiful. If we think of it in just in terms of the gospel, you know, the, the, the commission was to go preach the gospel and make disciples. That's, you know, dealing with the word, right? Sure. Well, yeah. And once somebody hears the gospel, they're responsible for it. And God will be glorified whether in mercy or judgment. One way or the other. So it comes back to Him accomplishing His purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I have felt that way for years. That it, it, in conversation or any or in preaching or anything, if I could just speak the word of God or a word from God, as it were, to someone else, <laughs> that's all I have to do. I mean, I don't have to do anything else. I. I don't have to call for a decision. I don't have to beat someone over the head to follow Christ. I don't have to do that. All I have to do is speak the word of God and go because God, God defends His own word. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's powerful. You know, the word of God is powerful. Beautiful. All right, let's go on. So, after all the seeking of of the word of God and all of that then in verse 12 you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands <clears throat> verse 13 instead of the thorn bush shall come up the cypress instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off uh, <clears throat> okay uh, we have, I think even here in this chapter, we have three everlastings. Uh, we, yes, we have talked about everlasting love. We've talked about the eternal or the everlasting covenant. And now Isaiah mentions an everlasting sign in verse 13. Uh, let's read one more scripture and then we'll talk about the everlasting sign. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. If someone would get that one for us. Romans 8, 18 through 21. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing it, but by reason of him who is subjected to saying that the Lord. How far? To 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. So, uh, well, eventually creation is going to be redeemed, as Jim wrote there. And, 
And how does it say it, Jim? I mean, we also share in that, or how does it? Okay, waiting for the day of our redemption, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So I think this is the everlasting sign. There's a covenant been made between the Father and the Son, and this is foreshadowed by the return of the Jews to Israel after Babylonian captivity. So this just becomes the experience of the church. It becomes the experience of us as individual believers. We go out into the wilderness. We come back from the wilderness. We go out into the wilderness. We come back from the wilderness. We go out into exile. We come back. And it just, it's just a, it goes on and on and on. It's a continuous movement. So I think this is God's continuing sign of redemption that we go out and then we come back. We go out and we come back. So... Anyway, um, if you look at it, it's like we're, look, we're heading down this road that God prepared, you know, it's made the way straight yeah. for us, but we have a tendency to go into the ditch. <laughs> we get off in the woods and then we come back. Yeah. <laughs> we get a little sparkly thing over here and it'll, it'll get us draw us to it. Indeed. And if you find yourself in a bad place, you gotta go over there. Get it back on the road, yeah. <laughs> Please, God, now we do it. Yeah, exactly. Put him back on. Yeah. Just say it, David. We should always preach the gospel and sometimes use words or something like that. Yeah. Isn't this passage and even the other passage, though, about I guess when we receive our body, you know, our heavenly bodies begin very end time? Well, yes, that, that's the final redemption, Christ. sure. Yeah. And that's when creation will be remade. Remade. Yes. Uh, and that's the promise in Isaiah, too. I believe so. Yeah. I think so. I always, I always like to bring this up with the myrtle tree. Okay, go ahead. Um, appears in Isaiah many times. It okay. also appears in Zechariah. Yeah. The prince is riding among a grove of myrtle. Yes. The church father is always considered the myrtle tree to be a symbol of the church. Okay. And uh, the uh, Hebrew word for myrtle is hadassah. Oh, really? Which is Esther's yeah. Jewish name. So that's, okay. that's kind of one of the key clues that Esther is a type of church. Wow. Uh, but I think it goes back to the earlier verses here where he's talking about the nations, call a nation you do not know. You know, in 1 Corinthians, at the end of the first chapter, Paul is going on about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God yeah. and the strength of the nations <clears throat> and the... Uh, the weakness of God, you know, and and then he comes around to, and uh, he will use the things that are not to bring an end to the things that are. Uh -huh. I think that things that is not is the church. You yeah. know, it is a nation where no nation existed before. Wow. A nation of kings and priests. Wow. So I think you can bring that into 
Well, thank you. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, all right. Um, so, we're going to be redeemed. I mean, that's it. That's the continuing sign that God gives. So, I thought we might just close. We could read anywhere, probably. But with Psalm 66, about rejoicing in, uh, in who we are uh, as children of God. So this is Psalm 66, beginning with verse 1, and we'll close here. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in His deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in Him who rules by His might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. That's a good prayer right there. Lord, You kept me alive for another day. I could have been killed. Verse 10, For You, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet, you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. So, amen. Thank you for your attention. And we will be dismissed for further worship service of the day.